I'm Eric Peterson, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Got out of a DUI tonight because the cops found out I was his wife. Wait. You drove drunk. What were you thinking? I can't leave. I can't kill him. I'm stuck here like this until I die. And that's if I'm lucky. That's if Neil doesn't talk and Nick, you know. So, why not get drunk and drive my car? Allison? The self-destructive bullshit? Killing yourself? It's just playing the victim again. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing the season two premiere of Kevin Can Fuck Himself, Mrs. McRoberts is Dead. It was written by series creator Valerie Armstrong and directed by Anna DeCosa, who directed the majority of season one episodes. Just a community note, if you want to continue the conversation, please join us on our Facebook page. The group is called Kevin Can F Himself Fans. Come on over. We've got lots of people talking about the episodes, dissecting these characters down to their smallest of nuances. And just a reminder that we assume that you've watched the episode. So we're not this is not a recap, step by step recap of the episode. We're talking about themes. We're talking about definitely talking about scenes. But if you haven't watched the episode yet and you're looking for a recap of it, stop this go watch the episode come back and listen oh caroline 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 now you and i have talked briefly because we did an intro for our valerie armstrong interview which was our first content of the new season that we put out and people should go to uh, podclubhouse.com or subscribe to kevin can podcast themselves at apple podcast spotify podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to that interview i thought it was really good one i thought valerie gave some great answers but otherwise this is the first time we're really sitting down and talking together about what we've seen so far in the new season it's been a long time since visiting this family, man. I felt like when I was like sitting down, I was like, oh, my God, I remember. <laughs> it was like it was a little traumatic, honestly, to sit back down and be like, oh, I'm back in her her situation again. I, I wasn't I wasn't fully ready. Like I was sitting down all like summertime tan with my popcorn ready for watch my show. And then I was like, oh, my God, I remember this is pretty bad stuff. We don't pick a lot of great, happy shows. I mean, <laughs> Handmaid's Tale, Westworld, Kevin. I mean, the Gilded Age has been the biggest hoot show that you and I have talked I know, about. But what happens with those shows as as this um this actual series kind of points out is that, you know, the majority of things that happen that we want to talk about, it happens in the single camera dramas, you know, that's what we want to see. So it's just difficult to talk about those multicams because uh it's hard. You're just you're just repeating the jokes and being like, isn't that funny? <laughs> It, you're 100%. It's the Chris Farley interviewing people mm-hmm. syndrome from SNL. It's like that when you did that thing, it was so cool. That's yeah. what you end up doing with the with the multicam stuff. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah. 100%. Not our speed. Let's talk about the title card. There's no laugh track. There's not even that single awkward cough that we got at the very end of season one on the title card. It's just the buzzing tone that they have and a couple of sounds of duct tape ripping. The only real visual is that a drop of blood falls upon duct tape, which is sitting over the UC 
and the word fuck. Mm. It's very dramatic. Ripping duct tape is a creepy sound, man. Oof. It is. It is. And nothing sounds quite like it. You hear it and you think to yourself, that is duct tape. And you know what I also think? I think something's broken because that's mm. the only reason why you got duct tape out, right? So the second you hear that, it's like someone is trying to frantically mend something that has broken. And there's a lot of things that got broken in this episode. Uh, yes. Emotionally, psychologically, To say nothing of the beer bottle over Neil's head, which ended season one. Uh, This episode's runtime was 40 minutes and 57 seconds. 10 minutes and 3 seconds of that episode was spent in the multicam. Well below, I think, the season one average, where I feel like Mm -hmm. we were like 13 to 17 minutes on average. Yeah, we were getting more like half and half, and this was definitely drama heavy. You know, when I talked to Valerie, I asked her about that and she she admitted she's like, I've never put a clock on it. Uh, I said, but we have. <laughs> we put a clock on it. Um, but it usually felt like it was more of like a one third, two thirds kind of thing. This was dramatically less. And I asked her about, are we going to see more of it because the single cam has become more of the story? And she said, you know, it's still important to tell the multicam sitcom because that's a core part of the Kevin experience is that multicam uh, is that multicam story. And and everyone's world still does revolve around Kevin and spin off of him. That's the connecting fiber between all of these stories. And so you're definitely going to see the multicam, but she said, yeah, it, you probably can expect to see more single cam action, especially with Neil being over on that side now for the season. Uh, for all those people that complained about the multicam and didn't like it in season <laughs> one, this this might be the season for you. You might be, uh, right. might be in your glory uh, this coming season. So I think so. I think so. What did you think about this victim talk that we've had throughout this episode? I mean, I felt like there was a lot of it. It was difficult to figure out exactly. I mean, I know you could see in the moment. I mean, someone getting choked, obviously, right? Like you're getting neck bruises. All that stuff was happening. We're going to look at Allison as, you know, a victim. But there's so many other victims going on here. I mean, including Patty, where it was like, I felt like she was she was in a no-win situation. She can't let her brother kill somebody. She can't. She doesn't want to necessarily have to step in or do anything like this. And so now she is now going down this road. There's a lot going on here. The, the show was walking such a fine line, and I think it's actually doing a remarkable job at it, that in any given scene, someone can be a victim and then in the next scene can be can be the perpetrator or can be manipulating that victimhood which really undercuts the feeling of it this theme played out a lot in this episode this idea of playing the victim versus being a victim versus using your victimhood which is legitimate but manipulating it and and overusing it we see i think all of that and i think you're 100% right definitely obviously with allison there's an aspect of it, and it's less in this episode, but we're going to see it more in this as the season progresses, where there's an argument that maybe Neil is a victim. Mm-hmm. Certainly see it with Patty. Patty is this is stuck between no good solutions. There's a great there's a great scene in this episode where Neil tied to the pole says, you know, what could justify killing my best friend? And then she shows her neck and she's like, you remember when you did this? And she's like, they're all bad. Patty has to chime in with these two mm-hmm. children, essentially, and say, it's all bad. It, nothing here is good. It's all bad. In, and everyone's a victim kind of thing. But that really puts her in the victim mode, though she doesn't really seize upon that or play it at all because everything that's happening here is affecting her life and it's also affecting her relationship with Tammy and presumably will continue to affect her relationship with Tammy. 
Oh, definitely. I don't see that that tension going away at all. I mean, I think it's so important to the show to be having Tammy. Although I got to tell you, I I don't uh, Tammy has not grown on me as a as a character at all, and so I'm I'm very much like having a little bit of like a I get it to keep her in there for tension and and for the the narrative device of having her around. But man, I don't know. I it's the more that time goes on, the less that I really want or believe that that a person like Tammy and a person like Patty would really be together. Well, because I think Tammy has a lot of Kevin-esque qualities. Yes. Think back to season one with the ordering the drink and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, re-watching a lot of that and just her kind of I don't want to say condescending. Condescending feels like it's too, too much. But the correcting her on how Patty is doing all of this just really didn't rub me the right way. And and I think it's I think it's the character. I think it's how the character I think I don't know that we're supposed to be rooting for Tammy. I think we're supposed to be rooting for Patty. I don't necessarily think that we're supposed to be rooting for Tammy and Patty. That's fair. I want Patty to find her happiness. I want her to find her identity. I want her to be her truest self. But I don't know that I want her to do it with Tammy. Well, and I also think that if you took each character and you like had them be the point of view, no one is getting what they really deserve, right? No one is getting the partner or the person in their life that they really need, right? Whether they're whether they're your sibling, you know, if it was from Tammy's point of view, I'm sure she would want, you know, uh, someone who wasn't dragging along the baggage of this brother or, you know, have this stupid neighbor or whatever all the things that that tammy is reading into that situation like no one's getting what they want everyone's settling for whatever's happening i want to get back to the theme of victimhood but let's stay on tammy and patty because we can knock this section of the of the episode out pretty quickly i think tammy is a cop and from all things that we've seen she's a good cop she is an inquisitive cop she definitely you know holds her partner bram up and makes them a a competent duo but personally man Tammy, Tammy is not picking up on clues. Like, I I can't figure out if she's just giving a lot of benefit of the doubt to Patty because she understands Patty is going through all of these questions and and her her coming to her identity in real time in front of Tammy. And so she's giving her a lot of leeway or, or Tammy really is just not observant. I mean. Patty is not a good liar. Patty doesn't handle pressure situations particularly well from a fidgeting and stammering standpoint. And Mm -hmm. Tammy's not asking any of the hard-hitting questions that you would think a cop especially would be asking. Am I am I reading that wrong? Is that your vibe no, too? No, I think that that's completely true. And and I don't know to chalk that up again. You're you're saying maybe she gives her some extra leeway because this is so uh, such a new situation for Patty. But then also they're in a relatively young you know relationship in terms of you know just how long they've been together at all. Um, even just meeting each other, you know, we haven't gone like years and years and years or anything. So they're still kind of feeling out the situation. So I guess there's sort of that element too of like, she does seem to act like she is paying attention to certain details, but she lets a lot slide for a lot of reasons, I think. And, uh, and then I'm also going to go with sort of, they really paint this town as nobody has a lot of choices. There's just not a lot of good picks out there. So if you find someone who, you know, has a job and seems like, you know, they're they're generally a good person, you may have to put up with a lot of other weird things in their life, right? right. In order to be in a relationship. I, I find actually her jealousy issues with Allison, though, very believable. I think it's actually one of the best nuances of the character is that she is giving a lot of leeway to Patty, 
she has a tremendous amount of patience. I really, th- it really hit me for the first time when they were in the diner and Patty, who says she's sick, but then says, let's go out. taking it from Tammy's point of view and then they go to the diner and they're just sitting there in silence and not talking they're not making eye contact eye contact Patty's not looking at her and it struck me that Tammy has a lot of patience for Patty so whether it's because she's very into her and really wants to be as nurturing as she can to this young relationship or like you're saying it's a feeling of there's not a lot of choices in this small you know Massachusetts town That's the way I feel they've painted it on the show. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it doesn't seem like within their age group, within everything, there's just not – it's slim pickings. This is where I think I kind of backed into the idea of she's just giving her a lot of leeway and rope. This is the best bet she has going, but it translates into her being kind of a very patient. I mean, not a lot of people, especially in a young relationship, are showing up so early in the morning on what looks to be a a chilly day uh, to assemble porch furniture. I mean, (laughs) I think Tammy gets points for that from a a partner standpoint. I agree with that. I agree. The other thing, you know... You know, to speak to her patience. If you are working in this police department, the the few slivers that we have seen of the police department have been like, I can't really imagine working with these other people. I mean, they all seem like you would have to have the thick skin and a lot of patience and put up with a lot of silliness the way that they're portrayed. Yeah. I think that's right. But, you know, knowing knowing Patty's background with the drugs, with everything separate from all the things that she's gotten up to with Allison and with Nick, just her pill pushing days from the salon. Just the fact that Tammy is not putting all this together also makes you kind of wonder, like, is she being willfully ignorant of these things? Is is it more than just being patient or more than not being observant? Because I think they've described her as being an observant person. She notices things. It's that she's willfully ignoring things when it comes to Patty, which is interesting because you have to think this is only one of eight episodes a season. Will there come a point where Tammy won't be able to be willfully ignorant of Patty and her actions and the things she gets up to with Allison? It'll be interesting to see as the, as our season goes on, but they definitely have set it up as, you know, Tammy is wanting to be more involved with Patty's life and Patty is having a hard time. It's hard to know how Patty would have acted had all the other insanity not been going on. Like, would she be so open to having her, you know, come into the house and hang out and stuff like unexpectedly in her own mind, you know, like so early in the morning? Was she the type of person to ever be okay with that? You know, she's always going to be a little awkward. I don't know. We'll have to see how it plays out. From a relationship standpoint, I want to give Patty a lot of credit here because I think when at their at their diner and Tammy starts getting into Allison and 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 kind of grinding that act she has with Allison and how much do you really know her and being kind of a jealousy girlfriend questioning kind of thing, Patty makes a really smart move here where she draws the comparison that Allison is to me as Bram is to you. They're full of nonsense and bullshit, but they also have our back when needed there our lives have thrown us together so we have to put them put up with them to an extent now that downplays i think patty's feelings for allison and it, it definitely downplays the amount of involvement that patty has with allison's life now but for diffusing a jealous situation i thought it was actually a really smart move to make that comparison to work because tammy is the kind of person who's going to appreciate that kind of analytic response to the situation 
Right. And getting thrown in with people that like you don't necessarily choose. It's just right. These are the people in your circle. Right. Like, ugh, I don't want to be with Allison. It's just my brother and Kevin and, you know, They're my next door neighbors. Six and all degrees the other stuff. of that. Right. Yeah. yeah. We all have all to deal with our, with our next door neighbors kind of thing. But smart on Patty's part, though, because Patty, a lot of times, when especially when it comes to Tammy and talking about it with Allison, she either up to this point has ignored the question and tried to move on from it or just kind of gotten flustered and flabbergasted. This was this was well-reasoned, and this was a moment of Patty actually getting her feet underneath her and having a good retort to it, which, if she's going to keep the heat off of her and Allison and their activities, she needs to keep Tammy calm about that relationship so that Tammy doesn't dig deeper into that relationship. Well, and also it's going to be like one of those kernels that I think that determines, you know, how this episode ends up because, you know, she's she's one of a couple of times when someone questions the relationship that Patty has with Allison and and, and like basically is like picking at it and, and making her examine, you know, what is my relationship with Allison? How does she treat me and what is she doing that, you know, without without sort of that outside voice making her reflect? I don't know that she would. Let's go back to victimhood here because I started to talk about it before and then I got myself sidetracked on a tangent. The show is, is, has a fine line to walk because you're what you're seeing a woman in Allison who has been emotionally abused by Kevin. I, I don't care what your response to that is. I've seen that's not abuse what Kevin does to her. I, I, Hard stop disagreeing. And when you say you, you don't mean me. You mean no, no. I, 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 people that I, you know, watching people discuss this show outside uh, of our our world here, it, it, it's an abusive relationship. He is in a he is emotionally abusive to her. If you don't like that stance that we're taking here, then this is probably not the podcast for you. She's emotionally abused. She's actually been literally physically now attacked and abused by Neil. Those marks on her neck are tremendous and they are scarring and it is painful to watch the show is also showing aspects of allison though where she's using that in a very way in a way that's very off-putting it was it's it's hard because you don't want to be the show that blames the woman for being abused but you also have to show that that people are human and if they have an agenda, they will use what's available to them to to sway the agenda in their favor. And this episode in particular does both of those things. And I think it does it really well. But man, it's so tricky. It, that is a tricky writer's room to be voicing it so that you're not painting Allison as the as responsible for her own making, but also showing Allison as being having a role in her own making. I've never heard him before. Hey, hey, if you need a reminder of what he did. Jesus. Basically saving my life. I don't care what you think. You had your hands on her. What excuse could you possibly have? It was an accident. Every report card I ever got said I don't know my own strength. And it was bullshit then. She tried to kill someone. I could argue it's self-defense. Oh, God. Just stop. Jesus. She's... That is no victim. Neil. Well, I didn't want him dead in your basement either, but we could have found another way. Why didn't you trust me? I couldn't wait for you to realize this is serious. Oh, you think I don't know that? I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want any of this. 
But also, stop showing off the bruise. Yes, Neil did that. But you're not just some victim. Made it worse. <laughs> what? Yeah, um, somehow I made him famous. Got out of a DUI tonight because the cops found out I was his wife. Wait. You drove drunk. What were you thinking? I can't leave. I can't kill him. I'm stuck here like this until I die. And that's if I'm lucky. That's if Neil doesn't talk and Nick, you know. So, why not get drunk and drive my car? Allison? The self-destructive bullshit? Killing yourself? It's just playing the victim again. So in these clips, you hear you hear Neil telling Patty that's no victim talking about Allison. You hear Neil and Allison talking about how uh, her whining, the butt Kevin whining. But then you have uh, the clip of Allison showing her neck again to Patty and Patty saying, you know, don't 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 keep playing the victim. You're no victim. And then at the very end of the episode, when she's learned that she's drunk and driven, drank and driven, uh, and gotten herself into an accident, and she's having a little bit of a pity party, Patty calls her on it and says, don't play the victim again. Don't do that. That's all very tricky, because she is a victim, but she also has to make sure she's not manipulating it. I, I, it's very hard for me to talk about, because I am a six-foot, big, burly man, and I, I, it's very difficult for me, and I want to be very careful and respectful of talking about the subject, but I think to talk about the show, you have to talk about this specific topic and this idea of being a victim and playing a victim versus being a victim. I want to look at it from the standpoint of how does Allison get out of the situation? Part of the steps to getting out of any situation is figuring out what part you play in that situation, because those are the only cards you really hold. You know, everybody, everybody plays some role in in what's happening in their lives. Some definitely have more control over it. Some have less. But there's something you might have some cards to hold. So I feel like it's fair to say, hey, let's back up a little bit and let's see, like, what approaches have you been taking? What what input have you been giving into this situation? And then I'm going to take it from the standpoint of like, so like, how can you rework that in order to get out of this? So that's not like victim blaming so much as like figuring out what your resources are and figuring out where your power lies within a situation because you have some role in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think I think especially at the end of the episode when Patty uh, hears Allison drove drunk and then tells her she's playing the victim again. When she says it earlier to her, she says, stop showing me your neck. You're not some victim. That's right after Patty had had alone time with Neil and 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 took in some of his words and, and ingested them. Here, there's a lot more time that has gone on and and so i think patty has had time to breathe on how she's feeling about allison and this whole situation so when she tells her at the end of the episode you know you're playing the victim again i think you're right i think she's telling her stop living in the past and start moving forward because another theme of this episode is i i lost count how many times allison said some version of we'll figure it out or we just need more time or 
we'll figure it out. I mean, that's not a plan. <laughs> She's just stalling this entire episode. There's no planning going on here. I think that one of the conversations with not so much with Tammy, but definitely the conversation with Neil really opened my eyes to that. Patty has had a long history of being in scenarios where someone has taken advantage of her. And so she, again, plays plays in her own life, her own role. And even though she seems like she's a pretty tough person, you know, we kind of, we kind of go around the entire circle with her because she, you know, says to Allison, you know, yeah, like, you know, basically saying that she pays uh, Neil's rent and is like always getting him out of jams and stuff. But then it's basically doing the same thing with Allison. And we have that little like snippet from her like being in high school and being played by people, even calling her, you know, a name she doesn't even like, but she just puts up with it. Right. All that type of stuff. Like she obviously has a slice of her pie that isn't this super tough girl. She really does want to be likable and like in with somebody have a friend but you know she she has taken it on the chin too so there's a lot of examining of like what role are you playing so i almost feel like when patty walks out on that ambulance bay and hollers at at allison there's a lot of like hollering at herself Mm. you know because she just is is sitting there obviously thinking about what neil said about that girl and just you weren't even invited to the party and all that stuff so she's like gonna go out there and be like you know you know what <laughs> like get a grip and like start acting like you have some amount of responsibility in what you're doing no one forced you to get behind the wheel of a car you know like you are making decisions that are causing things to get worse i see her basically saying that to herself as well what the hell are you thinking? No. Don't stop. Don't stop that guilt tripping crap. Oh, it's crap? Look at all this. Ugh. I don't know why I'm bothering to try to make you care. Because she won't let me go, and you do what she says, no questions asked. That's not true. Oh, please. I've been watching you two. She says we all the time, like you're in this together. But Patty... Where is she? You do the work and she calls the shots. So why waste my time trying to get you to help me, Trish? Don't call me that. But Lisa Fazilari called you that your entire junior year. That girl kept failing a driver's test and you'd chauffeur her everywhere. Once to a party that you weren't even invited to, right? Shut up. You just sat outside keeping the car warm, but this is even more pathetic. Let's talk about Lisa Fazilari and and Trish. I thought this was genius. I think there's a couple of I- I insights into Neil and Patty in their upbringing and their personal life in this episode. I thought this was probably the biggest single reveal we've really had or most important reveal we've had about Patty in her formative years. What did you think about hearing this this proto Allison that Patty had in her life? This felt very real to me that this would be a repeating pattern, that Allison wouldn't necessarily be the first go-along-to-get-along woman that Patty's had in her life. The, the fact that she had a version of this in high school, it broke my heart. The idea, especially when he says, you even took her to parties that you weren't invited to. You just yeah, sat that, outside. That hurt my heart. That hurt like, my Ouch. heart. Oh, so, I mean, the whole thing was, yeah. I mean, he was he was wicked vicious with his words in this episode. That one sentence in particular really felt like a real whiplash. 
not as much as when he would say bitch. The two times he says bitch in this episode I know, felt my God. like violence. As often as we've heard that word on plenty of HBO shows, there was something about him saying it that really came out like daggers. Yeah, it, it felt like, and I talked about this with Valerie, it felt like a violent act. It felt like a literal slap or punch uh, every time he said it. And, you know, big props to Alex Bonifer for just personifying this this single cam terrifying version of Neil. It's such a it's such a good backside of the coin that we thought we'd do with Neil. Which stay tuned for a future episode. We will have an interview with Alex Bonifer and he's gonna to talk to us a little bit more about how he how he made that transition and how he basically embodies Neil. Do you have you known people like this? Because this felt very like For I said, sure. this felt very real to me. This idea of you go along, you ask you do whatever they say without asking questions. I feel like people are either this person, especially through their their teen and twenties, or are the Allison or Lisa Fazilari. I feel like a lot of people fall on one side or the other with this kind of character. That's probably true in terms of, you know, are are you sort of like the the one that people want to want to be friends with or are you the one that is like the hanger on? Um, I think that's probably true. However, I will say that for the vast majority of people, you probably ebb and flow. There's probably times when, you know, you get uh, transfixed on somebody and you're like, man, I just I'll do anything to just be in their orbit. Like, I'll do whatever. But then there's other other times when you know you kind of uh, the way that I see Patty and with her black hair and her black clothes and everything like I feel like she's like completely shielding herself like she's in an ebb flow time where you know she kind of peeps on Allison we we believe over the years you know and you know notices her clothes and all that kind of stuff like she has these cracks in the armor but she is still you know armored up so I think she like anybody especially during God like middle school and high school when you're still trying to figure out who you are there's friends that you had in elementary and then all those those people kind of get sifted out and people start breaking into groups and there's a there's that push and pull of like where do I belong and who's gonna who's gonna take me in for real and who's gonna just I'm gonna ride their coattails or I'm gonna try to fit in as long as I can but really I'm just being used I think that's super common I, I, I really honestly think I don't know about guys but I can say with women like I definitely feel like there's that kind of you want to be as popular and whatever as you can be but but at the same time, you realize that there's some people like you cannot deal with what what they're going to make you do or whatever in order to be their friend. It's like the price tag's too high. For me, anyway, I think there's also a romantic aspect to it, too. Mm-hmm. And and I think I definitely and I think Neil was using this as as a as a particularly sharp knife to cut her with because i feel like there is a romantic angle to this i i still hold to my feeling from season one that that patty is in love with allison there's just too much evidence to it especially towards the end of the season when uh, allison is trying to get patty to stay right before they actually right before patty storms out before neil attacks allison and patty's like what what are you gonna say and allison almost says words that patty wants to hear but then doesn't and pulls back from it and i'm going all the way back to when she knew she was wearing that gap dress yeah <laughs> yeah that, yep. nice that's not back. something patty would pay attention to unless she was really india and there's an there's another aspect to this too that comes up and I don't know that people would make the connection necessarily to what we're talking about here with the Lisa Fazilari and the Trish clip. He knows everything. No, he doesn't know everything. And Nick is alive. This whole thing, when it was just the two of us, I, I don't know. It seemed reasonable, justifiable, but it wasn't. And it's not. He knows Allison. And now he's tied up and bleeding. And we did that, too. Okay. 
This is early on in the episode where Patty tells Allison, when it was just the two of us, quote, it seemed reasonable, justifiable. But now that, that Neil knows and Neil is bleeding on the floor and that Nick is still alive, that's all kind of changed for Patty. Like the reality of the situation has come flooding into her because this solo island of Allison and Patty having this, this Thelma and Louise-esque scheme together has blown up in their face. But... It only seemed justifiable and reasonable to her, maybe not only, but I think in part because of this, I'll go along without asking too many questions. And I think the biggest takeaway for Patty in this episode is that listening to Neil and taking in his words and being snapped out of the power hold that Allison has on her, she says to her later on, I won't just go along without asking questions anymore. I thought that was a huge thing for her. It definitely is. And I I think that Allison very much underestimated what the relationship between siblings would be. For Patty and Neil, I mean, they're all each other have. Allison doesn't understand the bond that those two have. And so when she's sitting there trying to like, be like, whatever, you know, like, it's it's stupid. Neil. Like, we're not going to take him to the hospital and stuff like she is absolutely 100% not understanding. Like, this is her flesh and blood. Like, you, why why in the world do you think she's going to protect you, Allison, over Neil? Mm. There was just, like, some fundamental stuff there. And I know we don't know too much about Allison's family, and I'm, I'm hoping we're going to find out more in this season. But I, I definitely got, like, only child vibes. I got, like, all kinds of stuff because she just didn't get the sibling relationship at all. In the same way Tammy has a lot of patience for Patty, I think Patty actually gives Allison a lot of leeway. This is her brother and it, it takes far too long in this episode for allison to be forced to realize like the dude's bleeding on the floor yes he attacked you and he's bad for that but he's also my brother like mm-hmm. you almost killed my brother when you hit him with a teapot because he woke up this whole this again words is violence oh like i'm just gonna believe you look at what you did to me well look what you did to me oh that's the same as trying to kill someone it's all bad Okay? And I can't believe you helped her. I thought you were one of us, but this? You're clearly nuts. I always knew you'd take after Mom. Ow! You're a useless piece of shit, just like Dad! You hear me? Okay! That was crazy, but it's also exactly how siblings talk to each other that no one else is allowed to talk to siblings. Mm-hmm. We know they have some sort of shared trauma. I mean, we know that they lost their mom. We know that their father raised them and it was a mess. Raised them, I'm going to put in like air quotes because it sounded like he was mostly not there and they were raising themselves. I think that Allison, again, she can make me a little bit crazy in how much that she really does not have any empathy or even any like eyes open to what other people are going through. I think we see that throughout this episode, but I think we're going to see it throughout the season. We certainly did in season one, where I felt like she was just busting in on people's situations and acting completely um, obtuse to what their point of views would be, which is fascinating to me. She doesn't actually have very good like emotional IQ. She has horrible emotional IQ, and I think there's a good argument there because of her situation with Kevin. It has been, it has been I don't want to say beaten out of her, but it has been drummed out of her to have emotional IQ that she has to spend all of her waking time protecting herself so that she doesn't go insane because of her situation with Kevin. But 
is that Sam's fault? Is that Patty's fault? Is that anyone else? She's is that Diane's fault that she lacks this empathy to be a human and a friend to them? I don't know, and I don't know how much of a leash they should give her for her lack of empathy. They all seem to put up with it to a certain extent. Patty more than maybe anyone else. Sam is not in this episode. Diane is worrying about her own things. But her lack of empathy and, you say great, her emotional IQ, this is something we talked all the way back in season one all season about. It's about, if this is a show about female friendship as much as it is about her toxic marriage to Kevin, she's a bad friend. She's a bad female friend in a female friendship show. Well, and I can say, so this is one of those things that I feel like um, I have experienced in terms of being like a, a parent of special needs kids. For me, sometimes I I have to make friends with people who I would not choose to be my friend, but because they're in the same boat with me, I have to have some sort of alliance with them and I have to work with them. And it can and, and it can even be social situations where it's not like, oh, we're working for some sort of legislative thing where we're going to quote work together. I mean, like I have to sit at backyard barbecues with people I would never choose to hang out with because our children have similar diagnoses or something, you know? Like it's like there's a lot of people who end up in the same boat who they do not actually care about each other, but they're supposed to have each other's backs, which is a really messy situation because it's hard to have each other's backs when you don't actually care about them. But I have found that I'm able to do that. I can have people's backs and not actually care about them because it's sort of like there's that mutual destruction, mutual benefit situation. Right. And I agree. And I think that is a big propellant. Allison spends a lot of time in this show and in this episode and, you know, without spoilers, in the next couple of episodes, talking to Patty and telling her how much she loves her and how much she needs her and her friendship means so much to her. It, go back to the end of season one, the the end of the finale episode right before neil attacks allison she says you lifted me up you brought me back to life these are dramatic strong words but there is a performative nature to them because of the way allison acts the rest of the time Mm -hmm. when she's not giving a good monologue about how much her friendship means how much patty's friendship means to her she acts in a way that makes you feel like that is just a performance that she's putting on when she says those kinds of things or the amount of times i feel like if you went back and watched the episode and you listen or watch season right season one and watch keep watching through this one how many times you're gonna hear her saying i need this Mm -hmm. i need this but i need this i need this Right. And yep. it, and when you hear that, it's like, that's not a friendship. You don't, you don't go to people and say, I need this. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't think she's ever tried to sell the idea completely. And I mean, because she has delved a little completely about how anything she's doing benefits anyone else. She just wants out of her life. That's it. And where most of us, I think, if you're going to find an ally, you got to find how it, how it helps them, you know, to also be helping you. So with Patty, obviously, if Kevin's out of the picture, her life should be a little less insane just because, you know, Neil doesn't have this, you know, things blowing up next door and things going on like that in theory. But she rarely sells it to Patty like that, right. which I think that'd be a great selling point. Does Patty pay your rent? It was our parents' duplex. No, but the mortgage. She has to, right, because you can't hold down a job for more than a couple of weeks. It's not my fault. I get overwhelmed. Oh, right. And everything else. Does Kevin pay for everything else? (laughs) 
But how? I can't even get him to put gas in his own car. He never does anything I want him to. Why would he? You know how often you say, but Kevin. Okay. We made a drinking game out of it last St. Patty's Day. I blacked out. Well, you also took a header off Turtle Boy. And Kevin laughed till he puked, so it was a great day. You're always trying to make him do stuff or not do stuff. But when has nagging him ever worked? When Patty is forced to go off with Tammy to their diner date, Allison gets her alone time with Neil. I thought thought actually the staging in this episode was great, that Patty has alone time with Neil. Uh, well, Patty takes away something from here. Allison and Neil have this conversation, and it's cut up into a diff- couple of different audio clips, where I think ultimately both of them are going to benefit from this conversation the the but kevin clip though is alice tries to apologize to neil for get things getting out of hand but then immediately begins to chastise him for patty paying for everything in his life and whatever she doesn't pay for kevin pays for which is annoying allison because she can't get kevin to do anything for her well and also when you're talking about abuse and you stopped at emotional i was thinking what about all the financial abuse what about taking their savings and spending it without even telling her anything and and clearly basically financing the guy next door's playtime because she's making the connection of like you would never have any spending money would you like when you go out to dinner or when you do anything when you go to kevin must be paying for you too oof that's that was a blow why you get that and i can't get basic respect from him and neil is ready he's locked and loaded with an answer of her nagging says the fact that he blacked out from how many times she said it because yeah, they made a drinking, it a about drinking it. game oh mike that's painful <laughs> it's so painful it's so painful but she is able to and i give allison credit here she's able to actually improve her lot because she listens to him That's the part about taking responsibility, like finding where your power lies, you know, like, okay, you can say I don't have any control in this situation or you can say, okay, you're right. I say that and that equals that. Well, what if I change what I say? Then can I actually have a new thing? It's actually a great piece of advice. I think Neil accidentally gives her without realizing he's giving her advice. But from Neil's point of view, he's just trying to explain why Give her some self-awareness. It comes across, I mean, you listening to Neil here, from Kevin's point of view, Allison sounds like high-pitched white noise. It's it's the Charlie Brown teacher, the way yeah. Neil is describing her. They don't even hear her words. They just hear wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you have to take a breath. Neil is a little <laughs> bit of a mastermind, though, right? Let, let's play the idiot audio clip. And how are we going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Blackmail? I don't... I'll figure it out. Okay? No. Reason with him. Reason with Neil? Yeah. He's not a complete idiot. He just wants you to think he is. Why? Because then you pay his rent and bail him out for 30 years. That is its own level of scam. How can oh, we yeah. ever look at Neil as this goofy, lovable sidekick? When you have this kind of Batman villainy about him, 30 years is a long con to get people to be paying for your shit and taking care of all of your responsibilities for you. He gets overwhelmed, he says. He doesn't pay for anything. Patty pays for his rent. I mean, Patty lays Neil bare here. This is brand new information to Allison. See, I don't think it's brand new. I'm going to stop you. Putting, it's not putting actually it together for 30 years? Yeah, but that's the thing. It's because this is the whole, like, she has seen no value in trying 
trying to see it from anyone else's point of view. This is totally the emotional IQ deficit rearing its head. This is not news. She knows Neil doesn't work. She just never bothered to sit there and like give him the amount of time to figure him out. You know, she just made assumptions and moved on and didn't even realize how much it was affecting her life. But what does that also say about Patty, though? Is Neil just another Lisa Fazileri? Is Neil just another Allison for Patty? Just another person where she goes along and doesn't ask questions but she, for 30 years, she's taken care of all of his messes. Well, so this situation... Or is it I think because it's, it's siblings and it, so it's different? It's a little different because they have that shared trauma part. So I think it's not just because they're siblings, because there's plenty of siblings who would call each other on their shit. But I think because they really spelled it out, they had this very, very out there childhood. I mean, you know, they told us that Neil found his mom dead. There, There is some sort of guilt there that maybe it will be revealed in the season two of like, maybe Patty was supposed to go into the room and she didn't, but it was Neil instead. Something where she's holding a little something on her heart that he had to deal with that and she didn't. If we're saying Allison has to reach the point where she can't play the victim and has to begin taking responsibilities to move on from her situation, doesn't Neil also need that same lesson? He he can't keep resting on his 11-year-old self's trauma to the succubus nature of his sister the rest of his life. At some point, doesn't Neil have to begin making up and, and taking charge of his own life in the same way we're saying Allison has to? I think that's the healthy move forward, but I don't think it's the common move forward. I mean, I think that a lot of people, you know, they get into this situation, especially how he's saying like, like, you know, I, he's already in this cycle of not being able to hold a job and and he's already made excuses for himself. And so there would have to be something pretty catastrophic and or like enlightening for him to come out of this cycle at this point. I mean, we've all seen the Facebook posts of like, you know, you don't get to just say I have I have this, you know, cycle of abuse or this generational shit that comes behind me. Like you do need to do some work like at some point so that you don't pass it on to other people, because at this point. When we're talking about, you know, who's the abuser? I mean, you're right. Neil is abusing Patty at this point, you know, and she doesn't deserve that. She doesn't deserve that to continue to go on to her. That, yes, the healthy way to handle it would be for Neil to get some help, for him to deal with whatever trauma he had to, to see and, and experience and get like a job coach or do whatever he needs to do to be able to move forward. But there's no impetus for that. You know, I mean, we can see. When Kevin says stuff like he works like from nine to three and stuff like there's not a big push for, you know, having this career or doing anything really other than like living in your parents' house. You know, like that's good enough. So that's why you tried to kill him? Because he doesn't care when you whine? doesn't care when I whine, but he laughs when you bleed. Oh, come on. Maybe someday you'll see that. In the same way that Neil accidentally gives Allison important Kevin life advice in when does when did nagging ever work? She has in this clip I think, and we don't see it here, 
But my feeling is this this feels like the kind of thing with if Neil is going to be stuck in the single cam world, the kind of information he needs to be told, harsh as it is. And this episode, the underlying theme of this episode is harsh truths from people you don't want to hear harsh truths from. <laughs> and she says to him, he may not care when I whine, but he laughs when you bleed. That's rough information for anyone to hear, but especially about someone that you're so slavishly devoted to you. I hope that resonates with Neil. I hope it does. I, I mean, I think that we're going to see that Neil has got to be having some serious growth in this season because too much has happened to him. Like when I say something catastrophic has to happen or something enlightening, something catastrophic has happened. So this is the catalyst now that should launch him in another direction, whether it's going to be self-awareness, whether he's going to be even more, you know, sort of um, intense and and sort of reckless because now he has this extra stuff going on in his head. He has like multiple trauma now. Or will he actually have a moment where he's like, hang on a second, like Kevin's really treating me crappy and I've been treating Patty crappy. And like, what? Where do I fit in here? I don't know. I sure hope so, but that might be that might be wishing too much healthy choices on our people. Not only was it Patty, Neil, and Allison taking in words that I think the others felt in a harsh truth kind of way. We haven't talked at all yet about the cautionary tale of Diane and Chuck. I feel like that was the original John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> Definitely. A little ditty about Diane and Chuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, 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 this is a really interesting storyline. You you and I talked a lot about Diane in, this, in season one, especially towards the beginning of the season, because I feel like she was more prevalent than, well, that was when Allison was still employed at the Packy store. Diane was helplessly devoted to Chuck and wanted and thought Allison should be the same. This idea of right. The, the, the episode that comes to mind is when she takes the Bella, Bella check uh, hoodie and she gets like Dunkin Donuts, like jelly on it, maybe. And Diane is like is disgusted by her. She's like, you know, you've got to, you've got to look cleaner and better for your man kind of thing. And that whole mentality, the, the woman is there to serve the husband kind of thing. And we talked about how that is a mindset that exists for sure. And in this world seems to be very consistent that Diane had her Kevin in Chuck, the same as Allison you know, has Kevin and that Diane just didn't understand why Allison wouldn't get on board with it. Well, fast forward to now this season and this idea that for 10 years, he's been having this affair with Tanya Iancono uh, <laughs> of the curly hair, uh, Becky, <laughs> Becky with the curly hair living across the street. For sure. Um, yeah. And it's kind of crazy, right? Because there are so many parallels between Diane and Chuck and Allison and Kevin. It really feels like, Everything Diane does, this is Allison's future in 10 years. The thing that stuck out to me about Diane and the conversation about needing to like dress up for your man and everything was about the fact that she had um, she had some sort of ailment. I don't remember if it was with her back or her feet exactly, but that she had special shoes to help them, but that Chuck told her to wear them on her own time. And she had to wear like shoes and things that were uncomfortable to her just for his benefit. All those years as he's like sleeping with another woman. <gasps> wow. That really <laughs> sucks. This whole Chuck thing, you're better off. Okay. You're never going to have to look at another open cabinet again. It's not just the cabinets. It's the 
back door, the bathroom vanity, the dishwasher. I, I could have tripped over that and broken my neck, you know, but he couldn't be bothered. 22 years I spent closing stuff behind that man. No, Dee, this isn't sad. This is like when someone dies, but they're really old, so it's fine. This isn't a funeral, it's a celebration. Yeah, yes. But I've been Mrs. Charles McCanty for so long, it's like, it's like I like cleaning up after. Because I don't know what I did before. Well, you, you were a whole other person. And you'll find her again, okay? Just need a few more wins. I thought that this was really the the most interesting part of, at least maybe not as relates to Allison, but Diane's own story. This idea that she's been closing stuff after him for 22 years and she likes it. She likes cleaning up after him. But more importantly, and they really bury the lead on it, she doesn't know who she would be if she wasn't Chuck's wife. Right. And and I think that is probably the number one reason ultimately people stay in a lot of bad marriages or dead end marriages because they are terrified. And it's been so long since they weren't married to their partner. They don't know who they are on their own anymore. They don't remember back when. I feel like I've seen a cartoon where like a bird is like allowed out of the cage, like the do- the little doors open and they fly out and they get like spooked or something and they like go back in and close the door themselves. Like there's something about sort of the, the feel of like, yeah, it might be a cage, but it's like my cage. It's my familiar. Well, isn't that books in Shawshank Redemption? Isn't that his name? The librarian, the mousy guy who's super old. He had been in Shawshank. Brooks. Brooks, that's right. Yeah. He had been in, he had been in Shawshank for so long. He mm-hmm. literally killed himself because he couldn't survive without the automation diane is brooks right she doesn't know it's been so her jail sentence has been so long she doesn't know how to live and but that's tricky though right it's easy for me to sit here and say like you know that's not a reason you gotta go but also you know it's the same isn't it maybe the same as people who tell allison why don't you just get a divorce why don't you just leave yeah, a thousand percent. And that's something that has continued to come up in our Facebook group and and people on Twitter where they're like, I don't remember. Why doesn't Allison just doesn't leave? Why doesn't she just, you know, divorce him? All that kind of stuff, which they answered all those questions very clearly in season one. So if you don't remember, go back. But real quick, it's basically she doesn't have the money, the stability, the structure, the support system. She doesn't have like really. I mean, for Allison, she doesn't, she doesn't even have a vehicle. She like literally has nothing, no savings, no nothing. So like how is she going to do this? Like, what's reasonable? I remember her saying in season one, like, she would have enough money for a bus ticket to go where and then do what, you know? And why should she have to walk away from their house and their things and everything else? Like, that's not right. Let's not forget, Kevin called the police knowing his wife had his car and reported it stolen so she would be arrested and pulled over. That's who Kevin is. I got a feeling that's probably who Chuck is. Here's the difference, though. Chuck lives, I would imagine, in the single cam world, this dark, very real, very dramatic single cam world. Now, we haven't seen Chuck, but I have to imagine he's probably not as quote-unquote jolly and fun as good old Kevin. So where is Diane supposed to go if she even can get out the door to go? I mean, that's what this whole episode is about. Were you 
okay with or disappointed in Allison's advice to Diane. There's a couple of scenes where she talks her through it. Uh, the first one, for people who don't remember, there's the opening scene where Diane first tells her that Chuck has been cheating and because she brought the hand truck over. Now, Neil is moaning in the kitchen and she is distracted there. But she says something like, you're too good for him. Kick him to the curb. But then later in the bar, she does the toast to feminism. She says, this isn't a funeral. This is a celebration. You know, this is a win for you. These all seem like kind of empty platitudes. I felt like maybe Allison, of all people, should have maybe done better for for Diane here. I'm curious your take on it. I think it's a really good point that, like, at the end of the day, you know, Allison, again, still can't even see another woman really in her same position and not just be telling the same kind of crap that, you know, what I was just talking about, what's going on on Twitter, what's going on in Facebook group about like, you just leave, this is a celebration, but about like, it's not. And Allison knows that in her heart, but she is so like, just self-centered for the most part that she really can't even see that what's going on with Diane, that like, you're giving crappy advice, or you're giving empty advice that really, you know, few people can really act on in a moment. You know, there's people who can leave eventually if they save up some money, if they make some plans, whatever. But like, she is offering the same kind of crap that was like offered to her from other people like Patty or anyone else. Just leave. Think back to how angry she was, Patty, a couple of different times in the first season when it when she realized that Patty knew about all the money being gone. She knew all of the stuff Kevin was doing and never told her the female betrayal that she felt and 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 had you know knives out for patty this is the same thing maybe she didn't know chuck was cheating but she's not really taking any time to be an empathetic voice here and she of all people is the most well equipped to be that's why i was so disappointed not because i expect everyone to have great advice in all of life situations here this is an ally who is now going through the same kind of thing that that you've experienced. Maybe not cheating, but definitely the the controlling, manipulative, manipulative relationship. She needs to do better. And I would say I hesitate about that ally description because she has to be cautious around Diane. She doesn't tell exactly what's going on. She That's doesn't. True. She doesn't show her cards. You know, she is, first of all, like you said, very distracted because she's using Diane from the get-go. You know, she's only called her over to use her hand truck. So there really is no, you know, moment of absorbing what she's saying. She's just giving back this, this total canned response kind of thing. And she just never really... She's not a good friend to Diane. You know, we go back to this whole thing about relationships and, and you know, who's kind of using who. She just uses Diane the entire time. Now, to be fair, I, we have to also recall it is Diane who ratted out Allison directly mm -hmm. to Kevin. Now, and, I, and I've thought about I, I it becomes clear as, as the episodes go on. I think they flush it out more. It had never been really clear is Diane the blood relative of Allison or Kevin. Right, because it's like it's like an aunt thing. An aunt and 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 Uncle Chuck, right? Isn't that isn't that it? I think Diane is an aunt on Allison's side, not Kevin. All the more reason in the it was episode what, four or five of last season when she quits the liquor store, 
Kevin knows because Diane called her and ratted her out. Now, that was shitty, and we called Diane about that. And we, you know, we we were not kind to Diane or really sympathetic to Diane last year. But at some point, don't we also, even if this person has been shitty to you in other aspects, isn't this a moment where you stop and, and have a little compassion or a little empathy? I mean, you would have thought, but I also think that there's such a desperation. And obviously, I mean, we know this whole tension situation where we really haven't talked about the fact that Neil's like tied up in the basement, you Mm -hmm. know, like, I mean, there's all this stuff going on. So, yes, in theory, you know, had Diane shown up on any given Thursday or something and told her this, maybe she would have more of of a conversation with her. But during this time and the desperation that everyone's feeling, yeah, I mean, she's just going to get, you know, these like side comments. And, and and here's the funny thing, though, too. Diane doesn't seem to notice either. Like neither of them are dialed in. Like Diane doesn't roll her eyes at her comments. Diane is no more talking to Allison than Allison is talking to Diane. They're both just saying things. That's 100% true, and that's a really good point. The 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 thing I think that left me feeling a little icky about Allison in the scene was in the seas, in the bar, when she is, she's giddy. I mean, she's literally giddy because she feels like she has scored a huge win with the wild dude ad and that it's going to backfire so spectacularly because up at that point, the only thing she knows is that it was, it, Pete was horrified at it and that the mayor called immediately to say that there was no way he was going to handpick uh, Kevin as as the replacement position. So she thinks she's got a win here. So when she says, you know, this is a win, this is not a funeral, it's a celebration, she's really just thinking about herself. She's toasting to feminism. She is she's giddy. She is drinking. She is smiling for the first time, really, in the episode because she's happy with herself. You're 100% right. She's really not. She's there with Diane, but she's not really thinking about Diane at all. And and Diane is equally lost in her own brain. Like, she isn't really, like, being like, okay, well, what are you talking about, Allison? What should I do? Like, there's no give and take. They're both just saying things. Can I tell you the most unbelievable part of this episode? And this was an episode, this was a great episode of, of television. It was a great episode of Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Can I tell you one thing that I had a real problem swallowing? But then when I thought about it, it actually kind of makes sense. Hit me with it. That Allison knows Diane's phone number off the top of her head. I was like, that's radical that she would know a phone number and that be able to dial it into Patty's phone. But then I kind of tell you, I thought about it. We don't know that. I mean, we know Allison has a cell phone, but I think we discussed that we were pretty sure that Kevin probably programmed all of the phone numbers into Allison's phone because he's got that that pompous ringtone. Yeah. So in the same way that she has to go to the library to use a computer, because we've never actually seen a computer in the McRoberts home, she's probably someone, due to the necessities of her life, who probably still has to know phone numbers. Because she probably doesn't have a phone or a great number of people available to her that she has to worry about calling. I think that's probably true. Which is sad. It's very sad. Yeah, it's a very sad thing. I mean, the fact that she can, the fact that she has the bandwidth to remember phone numbers and someone, I mean, how often (laughs) does she talk to Diane, right? That, that she would call her so often she knows her phone number by heart. Well, initially though, remember they were, they were coworkers. So, I mean, there there is like a whole part of like, you know, she probably did have to call, but you're right. A thousand percent that it would be one of those situations where yes, you would have worked together and whatever. But I, but I also think it speaks to like the lack of change, the lack of like however long that they were yeah. like nothing 
changes. It could have been the same phone number since Allison was a kid. Yeah, you know? that's 100% true. It's probably before, probably since they had like a rotary phone, Diane's had the same phone number. Probably. Uh, 22 years. I mean, I guess 22. I think this episode, I think these shows are actually taking place in 2020 timeline wise um so 20, i mean we're talking late 90s i mean but we maybe i had a nokia in like 98 99 no but, i definitely did not yeah i mean i was i was just coming off of having a beeper when i was a an executive at kmart in the late 90s no I had, one needed I, to beat me i had a i had a i had a work beeper <laughs> for emergency blue light specials that's it where i would have to then go find like a pay phone <laughs> and call in because i didn't have a cell phone until 99 pay phone but the question mark is, did you know Kmart's phone number? I, I mean, you I did. probably I, did. I, I absolutely did. Well, Kmart also, the the last four digits were always the store number. So anyway, anyway I, it, was like, it was a little passing comment when I saw that. I mean, you've got Neil bleeding on the floor. You've got Patty yelling. And she's like, I know this phone number. Bloop, 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 bloop. That's one thing that we don't give Allison enough credit for. And I don't know that I want to give her credit for, but she is a cold-blooded mastermind when the pressure is on. And for as much as Patty fumbles and stammers and panics, Allison is like, like her heartbeat does not change. She's calling Diane and thinking in the moment to go get a hand truck. She's handling this entire situation much better than I think I would. And I'm a pretty <laughs> big dude. Like, you know, like, I, and she's handling it very, very well. She does this moment, she does this movement, and this is, I think, Annie Murphy, but when she is chastising for Patty, she's like, and you're still yelling. She does like this whole montage across her face of like angry face and then a smile face. And then she takes a deep breath face and then a calming face. And then she calls Diane. It's, it's a really impeccable like half second split of face acting that she does. Go watch it again, guys. If, if the very beginning of the episode, she runs through all the emotions and then she just is calm, cool and collected. It's very impressive. She would make an excellent serial killer. <laughs> well, it remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. Um, let, let's touch on the sitcom plan because we planted the seeds of it from Allison's conversation with Neil, where he planted the idea of when did nagging ever work? Um, which she carries over into the multicam world. Let's talk about Kevin, his campaign ad, Pete and his storyboards, and Allison's encouraging him to try and capture how awesome he really is, bro. I think this is another one of those times when Allison can act shocked and everything else, but it's like, get your head out of the sand, man. Like, she just doesn't look around and pay attention to the things. You would have thought that based on the police officer's response to Kevin, that she would have had a better grip on, you know, what is going on with him and who is like or how people respond to him, you know, and especially like her whole lifetime with him. Like that's her beef is that, you know, he always seems to, to somehow charm these people. Everybody Th loves Kevin. That's her yes, refrain. So then I don't, I mean, I get it. I really do get it about like, she's thinking he'll make such an ass of himself. They can't help, but hate this. And it seems like the mayor is one of the only people who <laughs> was like, no, but you know, the rest of the time, people i mean they were eating it up so if she didn't learn a lesson know. when her when his uptight boss got into the drinking in the backyard yes, or, good or example like how could she possibly misjudge the uh the the crew 
uh, here in, in the seas and then, you know, just just the overall reaction. Total fumble on her part, which is a shame because it's impressive manipulation up until that point, right? She comes in and she's trying to defuse him in like a very heads-on kind of way. And she says, but Kevin, and she hears it because he mocks her and he, he she hears coming back to her the, but Kevin, whine. She, in like a second, just like switches her, she just flips her switch and she so leans into his ego. And that's when we get this bro clip here, which just made me laugh out loud the way she delivered it. I'm, I, I'm just worried that this ad, it, it isn't you. How do you mean? Dad says it's all about name recognition. That's my name. <laughs> no, I mean, it just doesn't capture how awesome you really are. Bro. And the and the whole face thing that she does, and the shoulders as she really sells bro, it's really funny. It, it's again, we don't talk enough about Annie Murphy on the multicam side here. She's got some real good physical comedy here. The stuff that made people love her as Alexis uh, Rose on Schitt's Creek, really, she she brings to to bear here in these kinds of scenes. It really made me laugh. Pete comes in, he sees the ad which we will definitely play at the end of this episode because he shoots the bad dude and that made me laugh that line anyway so <laughs> p comes in he's horrified by the ad kevin mentions that allison gave input on the original ad which led to it being changed that made me wonder if that's going to come back in some negative slash violent slash uncomfortable way for pete cornering allison about exercising influence over kevin because remember pete is the one who really pulls kevin's strings and he thought he had this campaign ad done when he left it had all the name recognition it had, it had kevin spelling his name letter for letter and now allison comes in gives her input and now it's this crazy ad i am suspicious of all of the men in the show at this point and there is a malevolence in pete we saw it last year we saw him manipulate kevin in the lie and walking through the tricky rickies and just there's a lot there in the stories we heard about kevin's upbringing which sounds like it was a very troubling upbringing did you bump on on him naming allison as an influencer I think that it would 100% track with everything that we had been concerned about with Pete, because you're so right. We we saw him along the way, you know, manipulate Kevin or just whisper in his ear or whisper, you know, he never really liked that Neil was around. It's sort of like that sort of like, you know, diluted his uh, influence over Kevin sometimes. And so Pete deserves to play more of a role because... I could see we were we were wondering so many things about Pete last season, like how he was always talking about his his heart issues and stuff like that. And we always thought, you know, if anyone's going to come over to the single camp side, surely it'll be Pete. Like he's going to have some sort of heart attack and then there's going to have to be serious conversations with Pete. And suddenly we're going to be over in the single cam world with him. That hasn't happened yet. But I, you're right. I, I do not. I do not think that that Pete is someone we should ignore or someone we should not keep like right on the board as like going to be the next one. Yeah, he's not someone to sleep on. When he says, you know, they're going to go full Mad Men, you know, ad campaign yeah. and day drinking. I was Those like, drawings were so good. <clears throat> they were so good. And the fact that he storyboarded that in an overnight period. But the the whole, I mean, I could totally see him working at Draper's, you know, ad agency. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but 
Well, the day drinking, the possible He's explosive not that violence. Slick. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe he'd be like, uh, uh, what was the little mousy guy's name on? Uh, Pete. Oh, yeah, it was Pete. There you go. There's something about the name. (laughs) Pete Gamble. You know what? And I give Brian all the credit that he can he can make Pete float under people's radar as just like, you know, oh, he's just he's just the dad. He's just this like harmless thing, kind of all uh, going back over to something like everyone loves Raymond. You know, the parents like they created so much chaos for that household you know, like the, the the in-law factor is is very real and, and could be very, very poisonous here. Just one more thing I wanted to note from the sitcom angle. And again, I actually thought this was a pretty well-handled sitcom story from the belt gag and the dropping the pants. And the. <laughs> I, I actually thought this actually worked as, as the kind of sitcom that they're going for and skewering and satirizing in this show. Allison comes in. She has thrown on Patty's workout clothes or jogging clothes yeah, and the sweatshirt. Yeah. And she says, they said, how many miles did you run? And she says, two. And the two of them now, but Pete, Pete and Kevin <laughs> roll their eyes at her. I yeah. have I have in my notes, I'd like to see either of them run the two miles that she oh, ran. Oh, no, a thousand percent. The judginess of them, like, it's just, yeah, it's so over the top. In a larger sense, just picking up clues and word choice in this scene in the kitchen and in the scene where Pete first describes the kind of campaign ad that they need to do for Kevin, he says the word serious twice. And Allison says seriously when she says to Kevin, you're seriously going to be doing this campaign. I thought it was a really weird word choice to use multiple times. And in a show and and Kevin even makes this point to his father. He says, serious me? I'm like, you know, I'm serious. It's not the word to use me. It made my ears perk up only because Kevin is not the person that you use the word serious around. And now we have it three times said about him or in connection to him. I don't know what it means, but it's like one of those things that just kind of got like into my brain, burrowed into my brain a little bit. Pete says, you know, we could really change this town. You know, we could really do things better for people like us. And he like makes like such a such a specific like meaning me and you like only. And then their examples are like peeing outside a bar. <laughs> like you can pee anywhere you want. And I was like, oh, right. my God, like this is their level. So when Pete says serious, I mean, <laughs> grain of salt. True. But think about what he did, though from the storyboarding to the now the campaign the campaign that he comes up with is ridiculous because there's too much name recognition in it but right. it, it sounds exactly like so many real political ads though the storyboard art is exactly what a professional person would do if they were going to pitch a campaign ad there's an aspect to Pete that is very much grounded in the way adults run their business and take care of their business. Now, he uses that power for the dark side often, but there is a very adult mature way in which he goes about doing it, which I would argue is the most dangerous form of shenanigans that that side of the show gets up to he actually has some legit con man in him versus just being like a frat boy stupid you know acting dumb right he's like there is a legitimate serious brain sitting on top of those shoulders that also wants to just you know appeal to the lowest common denominator pete pete is a wild card that i think you always have to keep track of where he is and what's going on with him i know we've been preaching that now for nine episodes on this show (laughs) but i feel confident it's going to it's gonna it's gonna pay off at some point 
It will not surprise me if if Pete is more involved and more involved because a little bit by changing Neil, you have to keep a buddy for Kevin. So if Neil is is more and more sort of torn or not really knowing what to do, you have to keep this buddy for Kevin. And so I predict we see more and more of Pete. I agree. I think he's going to have to, by necessity, fill a little bit of. There'll the, literally be no one for Kevin to talk the to. Neil, <laughs> the Neil-shaped hole in the wall, you know. Right. So, let, let's get to what, I, what I'm calling the birth of a plan because it actually stems from Allison's interference or influence on the ad, the creation of the wild dude ad, when she's already drinking in a bar where her mood goes to happy to literally turn the ash in her mouth when she sees it literally has gone viral. I just said literally a bunch of times. Uh, when the ad goes viral, the bartender tells her that the, the Channel 12 news picked it up and then the Boston news outlet picked it up and it has literally gone the definition of viral. It's everywhere. It has backfired on her. So she begins to drink even more and then she gets into the car. I have a couple of things that make me crazy drunk driving is is a big no-no for me it's like one of those hot button issues so when she gets into the car i was very disappointed i was very sad whatever was going to happen i didn't know what was going to happen but whatever was going to happen i was very sad that she was putting herself in this position and kevin's phone uh we hear his tone ring now was she going to silence his call when she leans over and takes her eyes off the road do you think or was she going to pick it up because remember, in season one, she explains to Patty, you can't ignore Kevin's calls. I think pick it up. My first instinct was that she was leaning over to silence the call. But when I thought about it, I was like, well, that goes against how she's explained how she has to deal with Kevin when Kevin calls. But she's also in this reckless, destructive mode. So I'm not sure. Does it make a difference? I don't know. But the net effect is she takes her eyes off the road. She drives herself into a ditch. I love this scene with the nurse. Let's play uh, the nurse clip. Glad you went in a ditch instead of hitting anyone else. And the guys at the scene told me I fell asleep at the wheel. Your husband a cop or something? Or something, yeah. Must be nice. Is your husband a cop or something? Allison's response is, or something. The nurse's response is, it must be nice to not get in trouble. Thank God you didn't hit someone and you only ran into a ditch. Now, this is important because early in the episode, Allison talking about helping Kevin reminded Kevin that she steered him into a fire hydrant so that he didn't plow into, I believe it was a group of children. How funny that in this same episode, she took herself into a ditch and this, you have the nurse saying, thank God you didn't hit someone and that you went into a ditch. I thought that was it was like a nice kind of like mirror of each other. What did you think of this nurse calling her out? Did that surprise you that the nurse would call her out? And also that we see the effect again of the mighty moo uh, and Kevin's popularity with the police, the, the mighty moo immunity card that the police have given him. Well, I think that it it actually kind of cracked the door more for me about what we were talking about with like, what cards does Allison hold? And while she is absolutely 100% reluctant to ever admit this, she actually benefits from some of the shit that Kevin does. And this is a good example, you know, that she's being left off the hook because she is his wife. She always associates being his wife as like the worst thing possible. 
And in this case, she's actually being given a free pass, kind of not not unlike there's other people in the storyline whispering to Patty, like, maybe Allison's a bad friend. Maybe Allison's a bad friend. She has both Diane and this nurse be like, your husband's so great. Isn't it so great you're married to this guy? Because look at these things that are happening. So it's like people are like whispering another point of view into these characters' ears. And I, I, you know, it makes sense if someone would start to listen to that. Well, I don't think she, I don't think the nurse was saying how, how cool it is. I think she was, I think she was I said she benefited from it. I said she benefited from being married to him. But if you listen to Allison's description she never benefits from being kevin's wife but this was a big benefit right but the nurse is shaming her for that benefit it doesn't really matter it it doesn't it doesn't it does no it doesn't in 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 effect because alice does get out of things because that she's married to to kevin which is not something she would ever look at she would never really realize that or like you know take that to heart that like all the times that kevin wins she could be winning too Know what I mean? Like, because, like, she could lean into some of this. Funny you say that, because the last sitcom moment of the episode, Kevin is telling her that she is winning by proxy. Mm-hmm. She tells, she said, he says to her specifically, you're winning because I'm winning. And because you're my wife, that means you're winning, too. She, he wants her to come to the house when the pictures are being taken, not because she's going to be in pictures, God, no, but because he wants her to be there to cheer him on. And what do you think? I think I'd rather fake my own death. (laughs) What? Patty. Figured it out. Allison. The self-destructive bullshit. Killing yourself? It's just playing the victim again. Nick, your brother, everything that's happened. I know what we're going to do. Put it all on me. I mean, she says she says what the theme of this season's going to be. Last season was let's kill Kevin. This season is I'm going to fake my own death. Then she leaves the voicemail for Patty saying that it should be all put it all on me. Everything. Nick, uh, Neil, everything that's happened. Put it on her because she has this idea now that she is going to fake her own death. What did you think of the library scene as especially as a callback to season one where she hit restricted content for searching perfect murder? Tonight's episode, she hits restricted content for searching fake your own death first i i have to say that her comment like that to him and actually a couple of her other comments felt more harsh and more blunt and more straightforward nasty than season one and i don't know if i'm just hearing it differently you're not i don't know it's 100 percent you're 100%, okay yeah. because all the other times she'd be like oh kevin or just like kind of whatever she'd say something but it would you know like i'm thinking of her you know uh when he like squirted all that food all over her dress and stuff like that she wouldn't say something like i'd rather fake my own death like that is a strong set of words you're using and even in her delivery with the smiley face yeah, and stuff yeah very... like real biting real like sarcastic in his face surprised at all of those things so starting with that i mean 
I I am for this faking death idea because this seems like it actually really could work and it could give her a chance to get out of here. My whole thing that I'm a little struggling with is this concept that Kevin would hunt her down, that he would be that possessive of her because like he doesn't even want to say he's married he doesn't want to even have her in the pictures there's like all these parts that i'm like i don't know that doesn't exactly jive that does she have to fake her own death or if she just walked away because faking your own death you don't get to take all the money you don't get the house you don't get anything like it's the same thing as just getting on a bus and leaving i mean are we really supposed to believe that kevin would hunt her down we have to table this discussion because okay. there is an aspect of, of episode two that I think goes to why this decision makes sense for her. Okay. Well, I am looking forward to talking about season, the episode two about it. But it's fair to ask, right? I it's mean, it's very fair, fair for audiences to say, like, wait a minute. Like, I mean, it's just, is this guy really going to be like that? But we, but part, but we had part of that discussion. That's part of the why can't she just leave conversation. And we believed last year she couldn't just go away. She couldn't just walk away. We, we took that off the table as something because, yes, he, he only wants her around when it benefits him or suits his needs but when he wants her around he will not he will call the cops on her and have her arrested so that she is brought home to him but i assume if you were just gonna walk away like i said you're not like taking his car or whatever like you're just walking away the thing that bugs me is that faking your own death does not secure any funds it does not secure any support system it doesn't do anything that walking away wouldn't have done without much more because again i i want to i want to discuss this more in episode two i would say that a controlling person and i think kevin is a controlling person do not controlling people do not give up their prizes and property as they see it willingly even if it doesn't suit any logical purpose to pursue it the slight to their ego and to their sense of themselves that she would deign to walk away from him will not sit with someone like Kevin. I mean, I'm looking forward to exploring it. I just, I'm thinking about Kevin's resources and the things that he like actually, like he doesn't have any computer skills. He doesn't have a computer. Like how would he even possibly? You're right. The buffoon that we've seen Kevin be in the multicam doesn't make sense that he would, that he would pursue her and track her down. What if like you asked Alex Bonifer, does Neil live in the single cam world when he's not around Kevin? What if Kevin doesn't actually always live in the multicam world? What if there's an aspect of Kevin that does exist in the single cam world? I think that version of Kevin McRoberts probably pursues Allison out of spite, if nothing else. See, and that's scary. And if that's where we're going with this this season, I mean, I think that that will be amazing because we need to see that sort of like what we were just getting, the, the sweaty haired, you know, guy in the closet kind of like here's Johnny kind of feel because otherwise it's very hard to to really think like, how is this how is this woman not really being able to and again, we can get back to like, well, financially, all this other stuff. She doesn't have the structure to do it. Cool. But she doesn't have the structure to do it faking her own death either. There's no money that she gets out of that in order to be able to run away either. This isn't that different of a plan. It just, again, you're right, answers the question of like not following her, 
not continuing to look for her. So I, we're going to need a little more meat. I'm looking forward to, to more episodes where that gives you a little more reason to think he would really follow her. I, I really think episode two has a good case for it. And, and I've been excited to talk about it. I think, I think, <laughs> and I think it makes aspects of this episode make even more sense why they're introduced. So, uh, so the last thing I wanted to say is just in the library with the restricted, uh, with the restricted content. For me, I thought it was a fun gag revisiting the bit, but it also was a nice full circle moment. It's episode two of season one where she goes to the library. Yeah. and searches perfect murder she can't access the content but that's the episode where she learns that people overdose from oxy and it's just kind of ruled like accidental overdose death and no one really looks into it too hard because the guy has died in the library remember i've told you if there is like apocalyptic event where should you go library the library because it's going to have all the information of what you need to do to survive so she can't get the information through the computer but lo and behold there was someone in there the cop who was like checking out that that dead body that did give her the information the library always holds the answers that was the scene in in season one that set her on her path for the rest of season one mm-hmm. uh the and it's what brought her to patty it's what took her to vermont it's 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 all so many of the episodes of season one stem from that scene from the library from the library and the library here is where we see her hatching that plan as as we're hearing the voicemail she's left for patty about faking her own death and putting it on her and then we see her search it in what what a what a tremendous way to to end the season two premiere i love it i i'm excited about this season i don't know how this is going to go i really 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 enjoy the idea that pete and kevin would we would be revealed that they also have their single cam life you know and that it's more messy than we would ever imagine and and more sinister than we would ever imagine i think that that's like a really exciting portion of it that takes us to the end of another episode of kevin can podcast himself if you wouldn't mind heading over to apple podcasts spotify podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review, it helps promote the show. It helps give it visibility on those podcast players. We would really appreciate it because we'd really like not to have to fake our own death just to make you leave us a five-star review. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Shh! My ad is on! Dude, do new, do new. He is a cool dude. Do new, do new. He shoots the bad dudes. Do new, do new. The Worcester Wild dude. The Worcester Wild dude. Ah, <laughs> uh, clubhouse.